Hi, thanks so much for joining us with APC Chats, where we basically work to spotlight people, voices, and opinions that deserve a platform and may not often get it. That said, feel free to join us in the conversation, following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this session of APC Chats. We're joined with by Robin Moreno. Hola. Author, Texan, badass, chingona. Uh, and you've been going through, I think the last time we saw each other was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you were fresh off a massive uh, role and responsibility leading a magazine that is needed yeah. and always was, but yeah. not necessarily in the way that it was presenting itself. And you've decided to do other things. So I want to start from oh literally where we left off. Oh, my God. So a lot has changed since mm-hmm. the last time I saw you. Um, so when we met, I was running Latina Media Ventures, mm-hmm. which was really my dream job um, in Latina media ventures for people that don't know is it really was like the number one brand for Latinas in the US so we had a print magazine that was hugely popular we had latina.com and a food property mm-hmm. um, and I loved it so much because it was working at the magazine was the first job I ever had at a college so I'm from San Antonio I went to UT woo-hoo, and when I was at UT I didn't really know that what I wanted to do after I graduated um, I graduated with a communications degree and I saw this issue of Latina magazine and I think mm-hmm. had J-Lo on the cover. And I just had never seen someone that looked like me on a newsstand, on a beautiful, beautiful magazine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's exactly where I'm going to work. And so I bought a one-way ticket to New York City, walked in the offices with my resume, brought my cowboy boots <laughs> and said, I'll do anything. Will you guys hire me? And they were trying to push me out the door, but they looked at my cover letter and they were like, that's actually well written. And a fact checker had just quit. And so a fact checker is like someone that checks the names and stuff. And it's it's kind of a basic position. Um, I loved it. And they said, you know what? Someone just quit. This is really crazy. Can you start tomorrow? And I was like, yes. That's amazing. It was amazing. And so I moved to New York and that really started me on my media career. So to come back um, years later to run this organization that I loved was a full circle dream moment, Mm -hmm. right? So I went from like, fact checker to the president. I was mm-hmm. like the president and it was like super chingona. And it, yeah. I loved it because I was not only on the creative side, um, but I was on the business side mm-hmm. and I had to use all these muscles that I had never used and it was wonderful. But the challenge that I faced was, you know, uh, media is changing at a lightning speed. It's being disrupted. Um, we're always a small company, independently owned. And it was just really hard. I found it to be really, it was challenging. We're going through all the normal challenges mm-hmm. of a media company, um, you know, trying to like go digital and digital first and be really fast. And at the same time, in a parallel important life, I had two kids. I had two kids uh, at that time. When I started at Latina, I had a six-month-old baby that I would leave, and I was breastfeeding in the office. And then in a blink of an eye, she was like almost four years old. And I I was commuting because I didn't live in Manhattan where the Mm -hmm. offices were, so I was commuting four hours a day. I would like drop, I was like that mom that would like drop their kids off, run to the train, like put my makeup on, 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 run home, hoping that they weren't asleep yet. They were already asleep and just feeling like a failure. Like I just felt like I'm just failing at everything. Like I'm trying so hard to revitalize this brand that I love, but you know, it's the media is being disrupted. It's just, you know, 
know, you put in 2000% and mm-hmm. it's still really hard to have a voice that matters and that people listen to because it's such a crowded space. And then I would go home and I just felt like that mommy guilt. And I was just like, do they even know who I am? And so I just had this real like come to Jesus moment where and it was a, it was a specific moment, actually. Like I was had a meeting that was during dinner, but I had to take the meeting because they were on the West Coast and it was just important. And they were VIP smack in the middle of dinner time and kids are screaming. The call's terrible. Like it was just and I was like, I can't do it. I cannot do this anymore. I don't feel like I'm doing anything mm-hmm. well. Um, and I'm a person that had has always been very spiritual, very wellness oriented. I have like a life coach certification. I have a yoga certification. I didn't know that. Yeah, but my health and wellness were last on the list of being when I was a boss, mm-hmm. being a boss. I just didn't take care of myself. I put everything else first. The company was first, employees were first, bottom line was first, family was first, and I was the absolute last thing. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. That's so weird. Yeah. And so I was like, this makes no sense whatsoever. And I didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel good. I felt depleted and burnt out. And and if you think of the image of someone that's burnt out, right? It's like a frayed cord. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt. I just felt like just afraid and disconnected and not sparky. Um, and I was like, I just can't for my own sanity. And so I, so I resigned and it was a really hard decision. I had to leave a company. I had to leave a six figure salary. I had to leave an identity because I had this huge identity. I was mm-hmm. like this, like chingona, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't for my own sanity. Um, and so I left and then I started on a different journey. I also think that comes with, and I don't, you didn't speak to it, but there's also, there's the evolution of the media landscape mm-hmm. as it relates to digital and what sells and what kind of headlines and metrics from a social mm-hmm. perspective, all the things that you have to just do as table stakes to keep up in today's state as it relates to technology and storytelling. And then there's the fact, and I don't know if you thought about it like this, but like the heavy, happy burden of what that title meant as it pertains to like, it's a magazine that's for us. Yeah, exactly. And it's for your daughter. Yeah. and it's for other yeah. generations to see themselves reflected in media in ways that they currently do not. Yeah. Still now, yeah. 22 years later. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know if that added a weird... A, a huge pressure. Weight. A huge pressure because I felt like, oh my God, this, this, this property is... Our motto was, you can't be what you can't see. And so our mission... And I felt it was a mission. It wasn't just a job. Like I, we, I used to say, this is my mission is to empower and elevate and tell the stories that are not being told mm-hmm. about Latinas in the United States. That's my fucking job. But it's my mission. It was more important. And because it wasn't just like a nine to five check and leave, I was all in and it felt like it was mine. I feel like, I think we all felt like it was ours, right? Yeah. And it was- I literally put you on my phone as future owner of Latina Magazine because I wanted you to own it. Yeah. And so, but I felt that- but I also, in the same way where I didn't, and I felt a huge responsibility that I was mm-hmm. going to disappoint the community. I was going to disappoint my employees. I was going to, I was letting everyone down. Mm-hmm. I really felt I'm letting everyone down. But I had to, at the same time, what we don't see enough, right? If our, my model is to model successful, elevated, empowered Latinas, I have to be it. I have to be that thing. And I was not... I was not at 100% because I was selling myself short. I was like under earning. I was like 
undergiving. Mm-hmm. I was overgiving and completely depleted. And I said, I have to show a model of what it looks to, I have to redefine success. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm doing here is I'm taking the old school male version of success where I'm working myself into the ground. And I'm like, it's not working for me. It's no. not working for me. And so I was like, I need to redefine success in my own terms. And then I can be that light in a very organic, authentic, powerful way and really be living. And you have to live it to give it. And I don't know that I was living it and I had to really live it. So what'd you do? What'd you turn off and what'd you turn on? Oh my God. Um, So I stepped off the merry-go-round and immediately, which was very flattering, I got a lot of job offers. So a lot of people were like, well, come run this for me. Come run this for me from big companies to private founders. Small companies. Yeah. I think I asked. Yeah, like, I know. Yo, but when it, you're ready. Yeah. It's just like this. Just come. Which, which is so flattering. <laughs> yeah. it was so, and, and I think, you know, and also like recognizing my talent, but also, I don't know, try to help me your out. Value. I'm not quite sure. But also your It value. was very lovely. And I really appreciated that on a heart level. Um, but I was like, I can't. Like, I, I felt like I'd be moving from one moving train to another moving mm-hmm. train. And I was like, I need to stop. I just, you know, because I'm going to be a runaway train again. And then my kids are going to be seven or 10 mm-hmm. and I'm going to just be even more cuckoo. And so I, and that was very hard because I walked away from an identity and people there. The first question that we often ask is, what do you do? Hi, yeah. what do you do? Especially in New York. Especially in New York. And so that just defines you. And I had to just be like, I'm me. Like I had to be Robin Moreno again. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, who am I? And so I said, I need to heal. I, I, I felt very much I needed a healing mm-hmm. in all the ways, right? Like a physical healing, a mental healing, a spiritual healing. And so I was sort of, you know, I'm a big self-help person anyway, but I didn't really find anything that was quite speaking to me. And my cousin is, was studying to be a curandera, um, which is a Mexican folk healer. And if you're a Mexican-American, that your aunt's probably a curandera, your grandma, you know. Like she was remembering how to be a curandera yeah. because we probably all have that in we, us. We, yeah. No, we all do. We're all, we're all healers. You know, we heal ourselves, right? And, you know, but it was, you know, my mom's always like, I'd fall down, like I fell down mm-hmm. one time and she was like, instead of going to like urgent care, she's like, get the huevo and you need to, you know, and I did it. I was like, well, of course I did it. Um, so I sort of just dismissed my own culture and was looking outside of myself and looking at like all these other, you know, big people and spiritual healings goop. and Eastern. Yeah, goop. I was like, why is Gwyneth Paltrow going to tell me what to do? Um, you know what I mean? And appropriating culture and then giving it back to me. That makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And so my cousin was starting to be a curandera and I started reading this amazing book called um, Woman Who Glows in the Dark. So anyone should read this book. It's wonderful. And it's about an American Latina that was, a, she grew up in the border in El Paso. Oh, wow. She grew up in El Paso uh, had some childhood trauma, ended up going, I think, to L.A. Um, and became a social worker, but then really realized that she was a curandera and would try to bring in spiritual healings to her work, but it was never really allowed. Mm-hmm. And so she finally was like, I'm just going to come out of the spiritual closet and just be a curandera. And she set up a practice in New Mexico. And it's one of the books that's really written in a good narrative way. Sometimes when you read books on curanderismo, they're very so- so- sociological mm-hmm. or academic. Anthropological. Or anthropological, but this one was a, it was a story and I'm a storyteller well, and who's the author uh, she it's a woman that passed away her name is I believe it's Elena Avila I okay. think that's her name Elena Avila um, and when I was reading this book she talked about when you're curandera there's different type of illnesses that you treat and they, mm-hmm. they categorize them and one of them was called susto 
a susto. And that might sound familiar to maybe some of the audience. And I've heard the word susto, mm-hmm. but the way she described it is she said, you know, when you have a susto, it means that you have almost like a post-traumatic stress disorder. You have a trauma. And the way that you feel that you have susto is that you feel incomplete. You feel like something's missing. And she said, because what happens is that when you, and when you undergo a trauma, say that I had a trauma because I had to leave my job or, or to say that I got in trauma because I had a car wreck, right? Mm-hmm. Western medicine will take you to the hospital, they'll patch up your arm and they'll send you home, but you are, you're scared to go to that corner mm-hmm. where it happened. You're scared to drive and maybe you're scared to be in charge of your life because, no, for real. Because, because when you were something Because bad when you happened. were something bad happened, right? So I know it's sort of water, it makes me like tear up. And so I was like, that's what it is. I've been looking my whole life. I've had that incomplete feeling and that incomplete feeling then makes me overcompensate. It's a direct line to the behaviors of why was I trying so hard? Why was I trying to save things? Why was I overgiving? And it's because I just had an incompletion. So I said that it just felt like home. I was like, it was just like seeing my own name. And it was the first time because I had done many, many things to do all, you know, mm-hmm. in my spiritual seeking. And I was like, I've been sitting on gold. Yeah. I just hadn't been paying attention. And so I started on this spiritual journey and I said, let me, I, I needed a containment though, you know, and I had to tell my husband, cause he's like, you're not going to work for a while. So there's a practical element <laughs> yeah. of this. That's a whole other line of questioning <laughs> that comes later. But I was like, babe, uh, and I had money saved mm-hmm. and um, we had just sold our house. And I was like, I have to do this cause I'm not going to be any good at anything. Like if you want like a good wife and a good partner and a good mama, I, I really have to do this. And yeah. so I, but it was a contained falling apart is what I called it. And so I was looking for like, how am I going to do this? Maybe a year. And I was just Googling and I found that Aztec and Maya had two calendars. So they had a 365 day solar calendar, Mm -hmm. right? But they also had a a much lesser known 260 day calendar. And it was almost like an almanac and it was a sacred calendar that Mm -hmm. was about change. And 260 days is also the period of having a baby, like it's a Mm -hmm. gestation period. Um, And I felt that felt like I needed to be reborn. Um, And maybe some things needed to die as well. And so, and then the other big thing that was important was I was approaching, um, I was 44 at the time and I was going to be 45 within like a month or two. Mm -hmm. And when my father was 45 years old, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and he died 260 days later on Valentine's day. And so I thought, and, and even just, if you can imagine that, just that alone, that trauma, that trauma and that impending looming deadline of mortality mm-hmm. was like, I have got to, I, this is it. Like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for 260 days, I went on this healing and reclamation journey and it was, it was very powerful. Wow. Yeah. Where did you start? So I wrote down all these things that I wanted to do and I said, okay, I think I need to reclaim three areas. One was my culture. I wanted to learn about my great grandmother was a curandera. She was a very popular curandera in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And I completely, I knew it, but I just didn't care. I was like, whatever. She's the crazy lady that with the egg and she would read cards. But she, and so I started really researching her. So part, so for a third of the part was cultural reclamation, mm-hmm. 
doing learning where my family comes from, um, taking cooking classes, uh, learning Spanish. And then the second part was about health mm-hmm. because I had lost just like my health. Like I just really, so that was just, you know, more and within this health part, um, you know, it was like physical, yeah. but like mental, um, and even, yeah, so this part. And then the third part was what I called worth mm-hmm. because I felt like I had, I had lost some worth. And it was like, and it was like, also Latinas make less than anybody, which yeah. is absolutely less than anybody, anybody. We make less than white women. We make less than white men. We make less than black women. We make less than black men. We make less than Asian women. We make less than, I believe we make less than Native Americans. Um, and so I was like, what is this epidemic that what is what is lacking in our inherent worth mm-hmm. that what, what is some, some of it is institutionalized, right? Systematic, but something else is there. Um, and I felt very much so part of it was um, was a worth issue. Um, and so I did it. And so I gave myself 20 days. So for 20 days, I would do one thing and I would move to another thing. Um and it ended on Valentine's Day. But it was wow. very profound because I did many, I gave myself all these like little lessons and I, I took cooking classes at my local restaurant. There's a, there's one Mexican restaurant in my town run by a woman named Juanita and I learned how to make pozole and I learned how to make like, you know, just old school yeah. rice, old school beans. Um, and I, I became a vegan in the process because I read this amazing book, another amazing book you guys need to get called Decolonizing Your Diet. Wow. Um, and it's this idea that really and we know this right like i think studies show that the more americanized a latina or latinx person is the unhealthier they are and what it is is because you know really native indigenous foods were like corn squash chia Mm -hmm. um beans but not meat we didn't i don't i think the spanish brought cattle Mm -hmm. um i don't think so then we didn't have dairy um and maybe we had like a random porcupine so you know what i mean (laughs) All the things upset our stomach yeah. because we over-index in yeah. lactose intolerance. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so that is so in the process, I became a vegan, or I call myself a legan because I'm a lazy vegan. <laughs> um, so I was a legan, but it was just... It just has been transformative. I took classes at the University of New Mexico. I'm studying curanderismo. I have a private teacher. Um, and I did like a, you know, I interviewed all these people about worth, like mm-hmm. really, you know, people like Nelly Galan and Ramona Ortega, um, my friend Carmen Wong. But also I did like a four-part spiritual money healing just mm-hmm. to see was there any like, you know, there had a spiritual aspect to it as well. It, I believe it does. Yeah. And, and that was really like amazing. Yeah. Um, but it, and, I, and I did a, a soul retrieval. And that was really powerful because I had one, my curandera teacher says, you know, we have a lot of sustos, mm-hmm. right? A lot of traumas, whether uh, a relationship ends, a, you leave a job. But she's, she says, you know, everybody has what they call one gran susto, which is like, that's the mother of all the sustos that really. I also don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right? So there's one thing that really. Changes your course. That changes the course of your life. It's the story in your head. Right. It's the story that you have that probably keeps you from doing for feeling complete. Right. Um, And so I did a soul retrieval and I figured out what my and everyone probably knows what it is. And I knew what mine was. Um, And I went and did it. And 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 I feel through the process is, you know, what they say with susto is that you're just you you do a soul retrieval. So you call yourself back. Mm -hmm. And so you go to that place of trauma and you're Mm -hmm. like, 
come back, Robin. Like, yeah. regresa, come back. And so like I. Like, it's okay now. It's safe now. It's safe now. And so I went back and I've just been take bringing myself back. And I went to this, and I, I just many things, but I went to a retreat in Belize in February um, with a lot of spiritual people. And the leader said, you're the most grounded person here. You're, she's like, you're the only one that's in your body. And I was like, so... I have never been called grounded in my life. I've been called many things, but, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like people would say, you're like a spinning top because you're just whirling and going. And, but the Nahuatl word for happiness, it actually means to be rooted. Wow. The etymology means to be rooted. And the philosophy of Aztecs and Toltecs is that the world is what they call slippery slick. Right. And it means that you're going to fall. You're going to falter. You're going to fall. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to things are going to happen. But if you can be grounded in yourself, you can be grounded, then you can kind of, you know, traverse your way through this slippery slick world, you know, Um, and maybe you'll fall, but maybe you'll get up quicker or whatever. And so I feel like it's been a journey of bringing myself back and being grounded. Um, And then from here, we'll see what happens next. Mm -hmm. But it it has had to happen. Um, And it feels really good. And I feel very grounded. That's amazing. What a beautiful journey. Yeah. What a wonderful year. Yeah. And that it would culminate on February 14th. Yeah. And that was really in the, and then the, the end of it was, was I had been looking back, but it was also, I have children mm-hmm. and I just needed to heal ancestral trauma and my own trauma that I, so I could be a fully present mom mm-hmm. for my kids. And so I created like, a what are my values? You know, what are your core values? Mm-hmm. Right? Like what, how, what's important to you as a family? What's important for these kids um, that we can always go back to them. And part of them, what the biggest one is really just being rooted and knowing mm-hmm. our culture. And, you know, I got, to, you know, when I was at Latina, I got to interview so many amazing people, like just, you know, Rihanna and Barack Obama mm-hmm. and Jennifer Lopez. But and one Gina of and others, yeah. Gina Rodriguez. Um, but one of the most important uh, interviews I had was with Dolores Huerta, who's, you know, very iconic activist and someone that I hold as my personal Martin Luther King, you know, she's, yeah, for, she's for, our community, for our community MLK. people. And I would ask her like, okay, Dolores, you were marching, you know, for rights and community, like in the sixties. And it, how do you feel now what's happening in the present day and age, you know, what's being, are you, are you just like horrified? Are you freaked out? And what can we do? What can we do? What are the, what, what can you impart your wisdom? What wisdom can you give to me? And she said, Everybody needs to know their story. If you know your story, because we don't, like we don't know that, like I'm, I did Ancestry.com and I knew this, but I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. My parents were born in San Antonio, Texas. My grandparents were born in San Antonio, Texas, and my great grandparents were actually born in Lockhart, Texas. Um, so we, we are American and mm-hmm. that, you know, that, I think about 13 states, the entire Southwest used to be Mexico Mm -hmm. less than 200 years ago. So what, but I don't think people know that. No. So if we, if Latino, Latinx people could be grounded in their knowing, grounded in their power, like grounded in their story, then we would not be knocked over by the insults and the like 
just abuse Mm -hmm. by people like Donald Trump. You would just be so strong in your power that you're just like, what are you talking about? But I don't think that people know that. And so I had to go back and be grounded in who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, My curanderismo teacher, she calls it um, our ser. So ser in Spanish means just to be, be, to be. And she goes, you have to figure out your ser, like your essence. Like, what is your ser? And if you know, like, what your true ser is, then it's much easier. You don't care so much about, oh, I'm successful, but now I'm not successful. Oh, okay, I won an award, but I didn't win an award. Now people like me, now they don't. No, because like, you're rooted. Yeah, you no, know, because then you're rooted. And, and, and you... And that's the way to be because all of the other things, like I'm going to have a job again. I'm going to do other baller stuff. You know what I mean? And and I'm happy to do it, but it's just going to be what I do. I don't know if it's going to be, it'll be part and parcel of who I am if I bring my set with me. But if I change, you know, but if I leave it, I'm going to still be me. And that, that I think was an important lesson for me. I think it's amazing. I think it's something we don't talk about enough. And fun fact, you and I graduated on the same day. Yes, same yes, day. yes, yes. And and I think um, my, my you touched on things that resonate on a deep level to the tune of tears. Yeah. And the idea of worth mm-hmm. and understanding identity mm-hmm. is something that I didn't necessarily think about growing up in El Paso, Texas. It just was what it was. I knew we had an Italian last name. I knew when I would go to Mexico with my friend's family, they called me the Italian. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I get that I have a nose, but why, <laughs> why do I have to be called the Italian? So I, and it's just El Paso freaking Texas. It's a lovely, wonderful, beautiful, misunderstood place where people just, it, it, we are who we are. And I didn't think about my identity until I landed in Austin, Texas, and I started getting Muslim Student Association invites, American Indian Student Association invites. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, oh, I'm 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 not fair skinned. I don't look like everybody else. So the fact that you gravitated to Latina, like, I think that's huge because yeah. when I was what seven years old, I painted myself blonde and blue eyes. Yeah, and that was my notion of beauty. Yeah. Um, so that you would navigate industry in a way to pay homage to a gap. Yeah. Of, of and knowing that you needed to fill the gap and be purposeful with that and yeah. take that on as as a mission yeah and burn yourself out to the tune of feeling lost like yeah. you lost your sense of self and place and root roots it resonates on every single level because yeah. I too went to New York and thought I needed to do something and got placed in a in a role that was about identity and about using my identity to help inform mindful engagement for very large organizations and institutions and it was beautiful mission-driven work but I was depleted yeah and so I feel like there's this there's a cultural aspect to feeling like it's your job or who else is going to do it yeah at the same time there's a female aspect of feeling responsible for everybody except yourself yeah and the idea that you're looking at it through the lens of culture and and you talked about you know daily traumas I, I truly think everybody needs some form of therapy yeah for sure that we don't realize the things that have affected us and imprinted on us are with us how we how we engage with others how we engage with ourselves how we talk to ourselves how we talk to other I mean we are just loaded with some sort of baggage mm-hmm. and how we deal with it defines how the world deals with us so there's that aspect, but then the other part of um, storytelling and how it was systematically kind of, mm-hmm. my friend's father used to say, history is written by the, the victorious. Yeah. And so losing our sense of history. At the same time, the generational trauma 
that we also forgot about. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear people saying like, oh, I'm sixth generation Texan, I'm like, oh, great. So you're Mexican. Like, how does that work? (laughs) How are you blonde? How are you uh, redheaded and blue eyed, but you're sixth generation Texan? Like, what did that look like? Because we have some things to talk about. But I, I think everything that you're doing is amazing. How does it how does it take shape? And I know we've talked a little bit about where you're at today in this path. What, what would you like to impart in your next step? Well, I feel very much that I would love to share what I'm doing Mm -hmm. because I think that, and I have been doing a little bit like I, it was interesting because I kind of withdrew even, I withdrew from, I don't know, society. I basically went to my house in upstate New York and started writing and hanging out with my kids. But I, and I didn't, I, I, I was writing about it. I didn't necessarily, you know, document it. And like, I didn't, you know, say like day one of my journey, you know, like a sort of, you know, confessional. Mm-hmm. And I felt very much that I needed to live it and not sort of go live it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but now that, I feel more like on the other side, I'm writing a book about mm-hmm. the process. Um, and I'm trying to figure, you know, I'm, and now that I'm, I'm still processing it, but I'm trying to figure out, okay, what did I do? And can I create a blueprint that maybe can help other people? Because I feel very much like that I came to an end of like a map, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that I wanted to be, you know, I had all these Bucket. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have children. I wanted to be successful. And I and I accomplished check, those things. Check, check. You did all and, and those I, things. And I'm, yeah. and I'm proud of myself that I did it. But then I'm like, whoa, okay, now where do I go from mm-hmm. here? And I'm the only one that could lead myself out of the forest, so to yeah. speak. And I created, I, so I created my own like blueprint. And so I would love to see if I could translate that into a book that could help other people who are in transition or feel like they're have a Sue storm, they're missing something and they know they want to be doing something else like that feeling. Um, but at the same time, I'm also trusting my process. And so I was just saying this to my friend. Um, I feel like what I did is I, I, I fell apart. Like, so when, um, so when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly it it wraps itself in the chrysalis mm. and it completely dissolves, it's just goop. It's just, Right. And then it reimagines its cells and it turns into a butterfly. And then when it tries to break out of the cocoon, you can't help it. It has, no, it has it, to do it on its it has own, to do it in its own time. Right. And, and I feel like we talked about it and the, the time that it takes to get out of there is commensurate to how long it's going to have its life, actually. Wow. So you, so the poking of, I'm going to get out of the shell now and I have to find my way, has to be done on its own. And I feel, and then it emerges, and then it's like, and it's wet. And it's like this like wet, drippy <laughs> butterfly. Yeah, wet and awkward, we talked uh-huh. about. <laughs> and I feel like I'm kind of the wet butterfly right now. Yeah. Like, I'm not like falling apart. I'm, 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 I've transformed, mm-hmm. but I'm still like the wet butterfly. Like I'm not like my wings are still wet and I'm not flying mm-hmm. and I'm not beautiful. Like I'm just not there yet. And I'm just letting myself be the wet butterfly right now. So what it's going to, so I'm imagining that I would love to write a book like this. Mm-hmm. I would, I, I would, I want to do a podcast that talks about themes of reclamation and transformation and culture and redefining success mm-hmm. and all of these things. And spiritual wholeness and right Mm -hmm. um and then what the rest looks like i honestly don't know and i feel like for the first time in my life i'm totally okay with the not knowing because i feel like i always had to know and do and i'm just this is where i am and i feel like 
that's where I am right now. So I, you guys are going to have to stay tuned. And if anyone has ideas, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> no, I think you laid it out beautifully in the sense that it is just a process and it's your process and only you know yeah. how it will make itself known. Yeah. I have no doubt that it will be seen and heard and celebrated in due time. I want to ask a little bit more about the the effects of the journey yeah. on, on your family, on your relationships, mm-hmm. and what is that? Because we grew up, um, and I get very personal on this podcast, yeah. we tell everything, and hopefully the most authentic and true way, in a way that doesn't defame, <laughs> I hope. But we grew up in a house with someone who, at some point... I would say, and this is the way I describe it, it's like we had Vitamixes in the 80s with tofu burgers in El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. We'd go on family vacations to Sedona. And so this notion of looking beyond and around to find a sense of peace or a sense of happiness is something that is very familiar to us. And I yeah. would say even part of our trauma, and maybe mine, I'll own, I'll own it, that I, I understood the journey, but at the same time it was disruptive. Mm-hmm. And and I, you didn't go down, it doesn't sound like a disruptive path, but was there any disruption in the unit or in the relationship that... How, how was that taken? Well, I mean, I'm trying to think about this. I mean, it, it, for the, it was great, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, mom's back. Mm-hmm. I was gone for three years. Remember me? <laughs> I was like, here I am. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, especially with my youngest child, because I was gone the most when, mm-hmm. from, you know, when she was growing up. Yeah. So she was always like daddy's girl. Yeah. And so, and she, and you know, kids don't try to not hurt your feelings. They yeah. just tell you, they just say it like it is. Yeah. So like if I would go pick her up, she'd be like, no, daddy. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I was like, don't worry. You'll be back on my team. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait you out. Um, and so I just got to spend more time with her and mm-hmm. just be present and like, what is she like and what is she playing and what is she doing? Mm-hmm. And I saw the way that I parented too because I had parents that were traumatized. Mm-hmm. I had traumatized parents, and they because of their trauma they learned how to parent in. My dad had a lot of boundaries Mm -hmm. because he came from a place that didn't have any boundaries. So he overboundaried. So he was strict. And my mom had no boundaries. Would let us do whatever we want, kind of. But you need boundaries. You do. You do. So I saw myself getting angry. You know, anger. I grew up in a house where people had anger. And Mm -hmm. they could be violent, you know. And I saw myself doing that. And that kind of scared me. And I was like, that's not the kind of parent that I want to be. And so I went to therapy um, and I'm I'm in therapy. And I went and specifically got a therapist and said, I want to work on parenting. This is what happened to me. And this is the way that I want to parent because I need to. I, 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 you want to parent from a whole place. Yeah, I want to parent from a whole place. Um, and so, so the process wasn't just like, here we go, let's take pictures and we mm-hmm. love each other. Like I had to like, you know, reclaim my family. Um, and my husband too, because, you know, it's, I feel like the financial was a serious thing because I had to, I had to draw a line of the sand and say, this is important. This, this, what I'm doing is the work of my life. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm not just some bone vivant mm-hmm. that's just lunching and hiking and like I'm reclaiming and I'm healing mm-hmm. in a way. And so I had to really stand firm with him so he could, and, and try to make him understand, um, because he didn't have the same childhood trauma. So no. he didn't necessarily know when I had to like, and start telling the truth about all of these things. Um, and so that was important to us. And we've like, we're really close and my family is really close, but even my own family, because mm-hmm. I don't think that they always understand. Mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, Robin's crazy. And she's doing crazy things. And I don't know what they think of me, but 
I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I just, you know, like I just, I, I think I gave up trying to please everybody. You know, I was always trying to like just please everybody, and I was like, I just can't. Like, yeah. You know, I have and, no idea what you're talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just had to be like, this. Like is- I need to see this book. I need to read this yeah. book. I need to follow the steps. Yeah, because it I, resonates on and a I thousand se- levels. And I set boundaries because I didn't have boundaries with my own family. I have mm-hmm. three sisters and a mom, and we were like boundaryless with each other when we called it being. Mexican or close. We call it. We're close. We're close. Mm-hmm. You can call me anytime you want, and you can tell me anything you want, and you can treat me any way you want. We're always going to love each other because that's what we do. Because white people are estranged, but we don't do that because mm-hmm. you know we're Latino. And I was like, actually, I started setting boundaries, and even my own. I love my sisters. I love my sisters, but one of my youngest sisters, I love her, love her, love her so much. But would like come to my house and bring her grouchiness and her and and I find. Finally, literally at Thanksgiving was like, I love you so much. If you can't behave when you come to my house, you can't come back for Christmas. And that's heresy. And like a Latino family, that's just heresy. But I was like, no, I've worked so hard to make my family stable. I'm stable. I'm trying to be stable over here. So you can't bring crazy over here. You know what I mean? And I tried to heal them. At the beginning, I tried to heal them. So I was like, okay, I'm reclaiming this and you're going to do this. And I, because you can see it for other people. You need to do that and you need to do that and you need to do that. But they're, they have to do it. And they have, they have to. And that was the biggest lesson for me because it was hard to always see them. It was hard to see people that you love make bad choices. Um, And that was really hard. And I would see them just make poor choices. And I was just like, and I was like, and I could see it. Like, you just come with me. We need to do soul retrieval. And I'm going to buy you this book and just do this. And, you know, let's go to the gym. And, but then they would just push me away. And it was like, we just weren't hearing each other. Mm-hmm. And I just had to back off. And my curandera teacher was like, um, she would always say, quédate con lo tuyo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it means oh, it's funny. I think my husband just said that last night. Really? <laughs> it's very much on you. Like, do your work. Do, like, do your do, work. Like, and like, if right. you do your work, I can do my work. But do you? Yeah, do you? Yeah. And she's like, "Don't worry. About, this is you. You. This is not mm-hmm. about your mother. This is not about your sister. Yeah. This isn't about even your husband. This is about you. Do the work, and then it's going to ripple out. Mm-hmm. Right? It's going to like fractal out. But you do your work, and and that's hard because I think I was trying to do everyone else's work because then it's easier than doing your own work. Mm-hmm. That shit's hard. So I constantly had to be like, you know. Well, and that's before you get to the editor and yeah. the CEO where you get to tell people what to do for a living. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I was really good at that. Like, I'm really good. I, I had no problem being a boss. I was like, yeah. it was being present and it was being myself and it was being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest thing ever. And it, it's been interesting because... I'm trying to like, right. I had to say, okay, what's my set? Who am mm-hmm. I? And now I'm going to really, I feel really vulnerable. So I, people will say, ask me to speak or something. And I've just been saying no lately. Um, cause I feel like I'm just not ready. Mm-hmm. And I think before I was authentic, but I had like a speaker voice and I had my lines down and I knew my stories and they were real, but I'm telling a new story. Yeah. It's um, a new you. It's, and it's like, and it's scary and I think I'm just scared. So I've been, um, and it also feels very sacred and I feel like I just don't want to blather on about stuff that's, I want to, I want to tell it to you like if it's real, um, and when I'm ready. 
That makes sense. It does make sense. And I think it's substance. And I I feel like um, in a world where even in this, you know, waiting to talk until there's someone recording it. And I want people to hear where you've been because I think it's important and beautiful. And if it resonates with us or if it resonates with me, then I'm sure it's going to resonate with other people because we don't have similar to, you know, that magazine. We don't have someone that's going through this and talking about it in a way that we relate to. Yeah. And so I feel like it's um, purposeful. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you've gone from really editing covers to leaving something and finding yourself and diving in in a way that is substantive and substantial and you're doing your homework and I think a lot of what you're saying resonates because I feel like my sister who's here with us watching right now who didn't (laughs) want to be on camera But, but I feel like this is this is stuff that she talks about. Yeah. It's like protecting your space, protecting protecting your person. Yeah. And then when you're in charge of a home with people in it and yeah. little people that just navigate the world in a beautiful and wonderful and a easy breezy, authentic way, they are so susceptible, like susceptible to energy. And so minding who comes into your home and what yeah. kind of energy they bring with them. Absolutely. I think is huge, but I don't think we talk about it enough. And so I can't wait to see what you do. Yeah and how you bring this to the world and in your way and thank you for trusting us yes no this is good i'm I'm, you know i trust you guys i love you guys and and i feel this feels like a good safe appropriate space and and i want to tell people it's just that it's it's i'm in the process of still figuring it out um but this is helpful to me too so thank you thank you so much for being here and um there's more to talk about, but that's going to be off camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, thanks so much for listening to us at APC Chats. Hopefully you walk away with some additional perspective or insight that you didn't have before. That said, if you want to continue the conversation, please do so following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks so much.